Good afternoon. Today is May 4th, 2018, and this is the 46th MRE podcast. Great to be doing a live stream uh, each Friday. Always looking forward to reading the Word of God, sharing different things within the text. And uh, today we're going to be reading through Titus and Philemon. Um, And as many of you know, Philemon is just one chapter. There's not even chapter marking. And Titus is only three chapters, so we're going to combine those two things and kind of see more of who God is in the Word of God. But hopefully many of you are enjoying the beautiful weather, enjoying the, the beginning of summer season. In Chicago, we didn't have any spring. Uh, it looks like I, it looks like we're gonna jump right into summer. Uh, I'm not surprised by that. Uh, but uh, with that said, I'm uh, looking forward to announcing what is kind of the plan for the summer season. Uh, I'm I'm trying to see if we can do more consistent live stream and kind of read through the Word of God together. I know that even for me, I'm anticipating a little busy season in the beginning of the summer, but I I really want to uh, kind of keep up reading the Word of God daily. And if we can do that together, I think that'd be more exciting and working through perhaps the Old Testament because we're going to be done with New Testament soon. So with that said, uh, let's jump into it. Let's jump into today's word and... Uh, yeah, let's, let's get started with that. Okay, let me pray for us. Father, we're so grateful uh, each Friday that we can read the Word of God. Thank you that there's so much, so much in here in the Word of God to learn about who you are uh, and most importantly to know that you love us, that you care for us. And we get to see so much of that through the word, through Paul, as he writes to Titus, as he writes to Philemon. There's just so much uh, in there uh, that represents your sacrificial, radical love that we don't see often. Uh, And so, God, we thank you for the reminder, for convicting our hearts and all the things that you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just like uh, other times, I'm going to be sharing from the Bible Project. It's been super, super good to be able to share a little bit of background. We have time, and so we can do that. So today I'm going to be sharing from Bible Project and giving you a little bit of context and maybe uh, things that's going to enrich our time in the word of Titus. Paul's letter to Titus. Uh, Titus was a Greek follower of Jesus and was for years a trusted co-worker and travel companion to Paul. Titus had also helped Paul with crisis situations in the past. See Galatians chapter 2, 1 through 3, and 2 Corinthians 7 through 8. In this letter, we discover that Paul had assigned Titus the task of going to Crete, 
a large island off the coast of Greece so that he could restore order to a network of house churches. Now, Cretan culture was notorious in the ancient world. One of the Greek words for being a liar, quote-unquote liar, was kretizo, or to be a Cretan. <laughs> These people were infamous for their treachery and greed. Most men served as uh, mercenary soldiers to the highest bidder, while the island cities were known to be unsafe, and they were plagued by violence and sexual corruption. Yet the island of Crete uh, had many strategic harbors that serviced cities from all over the Mediterranean Sea. From Paul's point of view, it was the perfect place to start a network of churches. While we don't know the exact details, we do learn within this letter that these churches had come under the destructive influence of corrupt Christian, uh, Cretan, leaders who claimed to be Christians. Paul assigned Titus with the task of setting things straight with this letter, providing the instructions. The letter was written with a pretty straightforward design. After a brief introduction in Titus 1-4, through 4, in chapter 1, Paul gives Titus a clear instruction about his task in the church. Titus 1, 5-16. Paul then offers guidance about the new kind of household, Titus 2, 1 through 15, as well as a new humanity, Titus 3, 1 through 11, that the gospel can create in these uh, Cretan communities. He closes the letter with some final greetings in Titus 3, 12 through 15. That's really uh, good to know that there is a movement of kind of Titus's role in this neighborhood or in this island or the nation, right? The people group. Uh, and then there is kind of that individual turning to what kind of household that God is leading them. And then even broader to the new humanity that God is calling all of them. So I think I thought that was so beautiful how that progression is going to be made in Titus. So looking forward to that. So, uh, I think that's all I'm going to read. Um, I know the chapter 1, 2, 3, those uh, more detailed background information is useful. And this is where I am going to plug Bible Project and go to the description below. And there are going to be links to the Bible Project video on Titus, actually. And it's so helpful. Just it, This is kind of the script that they use when they explain this diagram they have down here. So... Yeah, check that out. But with that, uh, let's jump in. Let's jump into Titus, reading of God's word. Titus, the letter of Paul to Titus, chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child, in a common faith, 
Grace and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above approach, reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, uh, a prophet of their own, said, uh, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. <laughs> this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the, in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I thought it was a interesting contrast, actually, from Paul starting with the qualification for elders or overseer or uh, a pastor or like a leader of a community, someone who's caring for and shepherding a, a group of God's people. Uh, a lot of these um, emphasis on what they're able to say uh, with their words is directly in contrast to kind of the, the group of people that, it, that Paul is uh, telling Titus to love and plant churches. And so that contrast of, you know, as God's people, we're called to not only teach, but, but speak uh, the word of God. And then also to demonstrate that uh, through Titus' life. And that's going to be how it's going to show that the word that they're teaching is trustworthy and there's power behind it. And so I, I love uh, at the end, this is what Paul says, right? To Titus in verse 15, to pure, to the pure, all things are pure, but the, to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And actually, uh, on Thursday, I was supposed to upload by Wednesday, but 
crazy week with finals. On Thursday, I actually talked about this from 2 Timothy when Paul says a clear conscience. And what I saw was that it's really not us able to be clear conscience uh, as if we are holy because we're not, right? We're broken and messed up. But really, it's because that we have said yes to Jesus and because that we received mercy and grace from Jesus, now we have the Spirit of God living in us that dwells in us that is able to help us to share and have a good, clear conscience and be able to even in our endeavors, our works, we're not just proclaiming to know God, but we're actually sharing the love of Christ. And we're going to see probably this in chapter 2 too. So let's go on to Titus chapter 2. I should be watching the time. Okay, we've been only live for 14 minutes. That's good. Chapter 2. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Excuse me, not slanderers or slaves so much, uh, uh, slaves too much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self controlled, show yourself in all respect. To be modeled of good works, to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, and they are to be well pleasing, not argumentative, not uh, pilfering but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Um, I say this all the time, whenever Paul gives a house code uh, for Christian living, uh, just remember, just remember to take into consideration kind of the historical context of this time. Um, and we know that uh, many of it, the, the, we must understand kind of the main point. And to me, I think it's that last bit, verse 11 through... Uh, verse 
14, which I believe he's going to expound more on in terms of kind of the humanity, kind of what does Christian hum, uh, are called to live? What is this life worthy of God looks like? And so I think that's the main point because even this teaching uh, is pretty radical in this context. And the the main point is that, you know, all these things are so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Like, w- the way that they're living is helping people see God. And so I think for us, we need to take that truth and contextualize it for our time, right? What are some ways that we in our day and age is hindering people from seeing the true God because the ways that we love each other, the ways that we teach something, the ways that we can implicitly or explicitly say that hinders people. So let's move on. Chapter 3, the last chapter. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, for uh, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's a hefty call right there. Wow. No one. We can't say anything evil about no one. I'm guilty of this. Like, yeah, isn't it so easy to SMH, shake my head, and throw judgment in our hearts or even in our, in our minds or even with our tongues, right? Verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by, uh, hated, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up divisions uh, or division among uh, among you, after I'm sorry. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped by is warped and sinful he is self-condemned i really appreciate kind of uh timothy's i'm sorry timothy paul's word uh just reminding us that isn't this so true that when we are quick to judge people uh, if you slow down to just think about who we were and uh, especially for those who don't know Jesus, like 
man, isn't it so humbling and just reminding us we were once disobedient or actually perhaps we're still disobedient, right? Yet, um, Jesus died for us. His love was tremendous in light of our sins, our behaviors. So how can we, if he equally died for those uh, that we have hard time with, you know, how can we say those things or do those things? So, wow, uh, such a great reminder of the gospel and the good news. Final instructions uh, and greetings. This is the last blessing that uh, Paul gives to Titus. All who are with, I'm sorry, when I sent uh, Arthemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed uh, Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. Uh, is it Zenus? I call it Zenus. Zenus, the lawyer, Apollos on their way. See what they're what they lacking, uh, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help see cases of urgent need, and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, there you go. That's Titus. That's Titus. I think I want to talk about uh, chapter 3 on Monday. What an encouraging word of God. Well, let's um, take a short break. We will be back with Philemon in just two minutes. Welcome back. <laughs> That's my first time actually doing like a break. Um, <laughs> just had to adjust a couple things. But let's dive into Philemon. Um, this is a very short uh, book of the Bible, but uh, there's just so much good things in it. I remember uh, where for my preaching class, I think we all had to preach out of Philemon. And I think I, yeah, it was a whole, 
whole letter that I preached out of. And there's just so many good things. And knowing the background, the nuances really helps us to understand uh, the words that Paul is saying is so radical. Um, it's so crazy uh, in this time, what he's asking Philemon to do. And so uh, there is definitely kind of the gospel in there. All right. This is what Bible Project says for the background here. Paul's letter to Philemon. This letter to Philemon was written during one of Paul's many imprisonments. Are we back? Are we back online? Yeah, we are. It's his shortest letter he ever wrote, but don't let its size trick you. This is actually one of the most explosive things Paul ever wrote. Aren't you guys excited? One of the most explosive. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. From what we can gather, Philemon was a wealthy Roman citizen from Colossae. He likely met Paul during his mission in Ephesus, see Acts 19, where he became a follower of Jesus when Paul's co-worker uh, Epaphras started a Jesus community in Colossae. Philemon became a leader of a church based in his home. Because remember, a lot of the early churches were house churches. They met in their homes. They didn't have buildings like we do now. Now, Philemon, like all the other household patriarchs in the Roman world, owned slaves, one of whom was named Onesimus. At some point, these two had a serious conflict. Onesimus wronged Philemon in some way, perhaps by the theft or cheating. Whatever exactly happened, it was made worse when Onesimus ran away. Philemon verse 18 through 19. Eventually, he found his way to visit Paul in prison, likely to appeal for help. And there he became a follower of Jesus and a believer, I'm sorry, a beloved assistant to Paul. Paul finds himself in a difficult and very delicate situation. As he writes this letter, he wants Philemon to not just simply forgive Onesimus, but also to receive and embrace him as a brother in the Messiah. In other words, Paul is asking Philemon to release Onesimus from slavery and treat him like an equal within their Jesus community. That's why it's so explosive, uh, the implications. And what Paul is asking Philemon to do is unheard of. This is not how it works back in this day. But with that said, uh, Let's jump into the word. I'm just right now trying to decide, should I read a couple more because it's so short? How about this? Let's read uh, each section. And then if there's some things that I feel like I should draw out, I'll read from the Bible project. I think that'll work better. Okay, so here we go. The letter of Paul to Philemon. Verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and uh, Aphia, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. 
Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Here, the key word is verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good things that is in us for the sake of Christ. And um, the thing is here, the word is, it's kind of sad that we don't see the word in Greek and it's translated, but the key word here is partnership or in Greek, koinonia. And it's beyond partnership. It means that, uh, it means sharing, mutual participation. It's when two or more people receive something together and share in it, become partners, Paul says that faithfulness to Jesus means recognizing that all of his followers are equal partners who share together in the gift of God's love and grace. For Paul, this experience of koinonia among Jesus' followers isn't just an idea. It's something you do in your relationship. So that's kind of the key word that that we kind of miss when we just read this, right? And that word is going to be very crucial throughout the letter. Now, here comes Paul's plea for Onesimus in verse 8. Philemon, uh, no chapter, verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, right? Because Paul is kind of uh, Philemon's mentor. He led Philemon to Christ. So it's kind of like, Paul is uh, Philemon's sensei, teacher. And in this culture, in this context, he has all the right to be like an apostle and say, you do this. And Philemon would have no, nothing to say, just say, okay, I'll obey. But remember, we talked about partnership, right? So accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ, even with spiritual uh what is a spiritual kind of, what is that word? I'm sorry, brain fart right here. Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending him my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, 
but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, see that word, partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So here, that's the request that he's making. And um, uh, let me read this part. I think that this really helps us to understand kind of how explosive. I love Bible Project's uh, word choice of explosive this is. Uh, this is a tall order under Roman law. Philemon had every legal right to have Onesimus punished or put in prison. Paul is not only asking him to forgive Onesimus, but to welcome him, welcome his sleigh back into Colossae as a social equal and as a family member. This is this this is way beyond kindness. It's downright unheard of. Freeing a slave and treating them like family would mean upsetting the status quo of Roman social order. Why should Philemon do such a thing? At this point, Paul pulls a brilliant move recalling the keyword koinonia from his opening letter. He says that if you're truly a partner with me, then welcome Onesimus as if he were with me. And if he wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me. I will repay it. So there's a sense of mutual ownership and responsibility and loving each other, covering for each other. This is what really a fellowship looks like. Man, that will preach. And and just think about that. How often we fail to do or live in this such way that there's no mutual sacrifice or changing the social status quo of our day and age. That isn't the church a place where a radical love and kindness is changing the lives of people because clearly uh, being in that sort of social class also has so much implications and brokenness attached to it, right? Within this request, uh, let me just go on and read this part. I think it's so good. Within this request, we can see the heart of Paul's gospel message being acted out. It's about reconciliation. First of all, as he had told the Corinthians, in the Messiah, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Excuse me. In this situation, Paul is playing out the role of Jesus. He will absorb the consequences of Onesimus' wrongdoing and pay, will pay the cost himself also that he can be reconciled to Philemon. Paul's message was about more than just a legal transaction. It's all about koinonia. Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul are all equal partners before God. 
and they all share the same need for forgiveness. The ground is level before the cross. Mm, I love that. I love that. But the question is, do we really believe that, right? Do we really see that? When we see people and they're God's children, do we really see that they're made into the image of God, that their dignity, who they are, is same as who we are? Um, yeah, I was actually thinking about that on Monday. Uh, and I won't go into the story, but like there, there, there things happened and, um, I had to think about that and think about like, as much as I care about these students, do I also care about this person that I just met or do I have a, a, some sort of a disconnection between, because I don't see that person in certain ways. So even though it's a good intention, right, to protect my students and things that God is doing in them, right, I had to really ask that question and say, do I really see that these people are made into the Im- image of God and that he's at work? Okay. So that brings us to um, that brings us to the end of this letter, kind of the final greeting, verse 21 to 25. It says, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be graciously given to you. Uh, Epipharis, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, our Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And my fellow workers, the grace of, of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, what a what a great little short explosive letter. You know, I wish that we had the letter that Philemon wrote back to Paul. Um, I have a sense that Philemon uh did what Paul asked and even more because what Paul says in verse 21 right he says confident of your obedience I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say and I bet Paul's confidence uh, came from his prayer that I'm sure he put a lot of thought into this because this letter could have even jeopardized um, the relationship that Paul had with Philemon, and that could have affected the church that is just growing. So I'm, I know that Paul, knowing him a little bit, as we read through his, his letters, that he prayerfully considered this and prayerfully thought about the reconciliation, the message, the, the reason why. And he prayerfully wrote this letter. And that's why in 21, he says, I'm confident The Spirit was telling me this is the right thing and that He's working in you, Philemon, too. So that's another, I think, even application for us, right? That even when we think about what is wrong and right in our world, I think we need to consider how it's building up the church. Of course, we have to speak truth, but are we speaking truth in love and in aligned 
in alignment with what the Spirit of God is already doing. Wow, that's another great message. I feel like I could pull out or um, add to in the Philemon. But thank you, everybody, for joining and tuning in. I see that there are three concurrent viewers. That's encouraging. And uh, for those who are tuning in to watch this later, I am so glad you're wrestling, you're listening to the Word of God. And friends, I, I'm learning. Every time I read these books that I've read before, I'm learning so much. And God is reminding me of his work and what he's doing. And so I am so grateful that we can do this together. Tune in for what we have uh, in store in for the summer season. I'm really excited and to see if this is manageable uh, to what I'm planning to do. So I will, I'll announce that soon. But once again, I am so thankful for all of you guys for your support. And I will see you guys on Monday with MRE podcast episodes. But I hope and pray that you all have the most wonderful, life-giving weekend ever. Okay, Rest well for those who are coming off finals, coming off studies. Please rest well and find rest in Jesus. All right. I will see you guys later. Bye-bye.